Hello and welcome to Chosen by Committee, the podcast where myself, Josh Heron, Christopher Munden, and John Rosenberg read through every Pulitzer Prize-winning play since 1918, so you don't have to, or so you'll join us and read along with us. Uh, like I said, my name is Josh Heron, and I am a third grade teacher getting ready to go back to work. Um, and I am joined by, by coastal legend, John Rosenberg, live from Los Angeles. Hi. Hello. And across the city, (laughs) the beast from the Northeast. (laughs) Hello, Josh. I gotta say, that was really good. Every week, I look forward, Josh, to what you're going to say about Chris. And this one, the beast from the Northeast. (laughs) Uh, John just moved. Um, I'm getting ready for school. And Chris was on a little bit of vacation. So it's taken us a second to sit down and record this. But we should be back to a normal recording schedule. Um, The play we read this week is by William Soroyan, and uh, Christopher will tell us what it's called. Mm, the time of their lives? Time of my, your life, our life? Time of your life. The time uh, of your life. And um, I don't know if I remember it. <laughs> um, as Crystal in his other week. So this is going to be um, an exercise in, in, in what happens when a week has gone by. It's not terribly plot heavy, is it? Yeah, I don't even, the summary would be, it's like about a bar. There's like, uh, there's like a, it's like filled with these characters. It's sort of like this, like very surreal 1940s cheers. Um, It takes place at a bar (laughs) um, in San Francisco. That's a good uh, analogy, yeah. I also feel like, you kind of being hazy with your memory regarding it. This is a perfect, it's a perfect play to kind of have a hazy memory of. Yeah, it's like very, it's like drinking. It, yeah, it is like it's like moody. I almost like in my mind, I think of it as like, like um, I take a cigarette, and I blow, and the smoke comes out, and like, out of the smoke, I see like a scene at a bar, and then it like whisks away. Um, is it a is it a clove or, or a cigarette? Oh, maybe it's a <laughs> valley high. <laughs> I used to love clothes. They don't sell those anymore, I don't think. <laughs> can I be a 29-year-old and smoke a clove? Yes, you can. And where would you find one? Do kids still smoke clothes? I guarantee you they do. It's the official oh, cigarette of virgins. I don't know if teens smoke anymore, though. They're all like TikTok and seltzer. Uh, maybe there's a clove flavored um, jewel. Uh, jewel, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, so it's about a bar. There's like a bookie or a, a gambler. There's like a gangster and his friend, and there's like a prostitute, and there's some love connections, and there's 
some people who come in looking for work and people sort of just like amble in and out. Um, it reminded me in some ways of street scene in that way, where it's sort of just like the life of this place. Um, it's, it's much less like, I mean, street scene, like the, the, the realism of street scene really like got to me and this isn't realistic. Um, it's mm -hmm. No, it's not. Very dreamlike. Hyper realistic, maybe it's very, I mean, I would believe that everything in it could have happened. And that I would believe that the writer was writing pretty much based on true experience of hanging out at a bar in San Francisco. But it's not an attempt to be like a realistic capture of a day in the life of that bar. Yeah, it's like, it's almost like impressionistic. Yeah, it's boozy. Like, uh, it's yeah. like, it's like San Francisco in a way, you know? Old San Francisco. Yes, I apologize. <laughs> now that bar is just like a coffee shop where everyone's on their Macs waiting for the Google bus. Um, but so you both enjoy the play, right? I, I assume we all probably enjoyed it for different reasons. But yeah. what were your impressions or experiences with the play? I mean, I really, yeah, I, I thought it was like sort of a pleasure to read. It sort of like wafted over me. Um, it joins the plays that felt like more like literature. Like, yeah, definitely. Um, the stage directions were sort of lovely. I remember um, stage directions were really lovely, actually. The way he described characters was really, really nice. Um, I feel like I would love to see it on stage two, though. Um, it was just yeah, that's what I was thinking. This I would love to see this on stage. I mean, after like Abe Lincoln in Illinois, it was a it was a good palate cleanser. Yeah, definitely. Um, but it's funny. I actually I might be jumping ahead. I I actually no. don't want to see this on stage or in real life. Really? Like, yeah. There's something there's something ethereal, and I guess what you said about like, you know, you take a drag of a cigarette and you blow out and the smoke kind of like creates a scene. Like, uh, I enjoyed all these characters like in my mind, but like seeing it on a stage. Yeah, I don't know about that. I think I would go see it on the stage and, and come out of it not annoyed and um, feeling rewarded from it and, and maybe surprised by it. <laughs> What did, what did you enjoy about it, Christopher? Mm. Um, I, part of me likes that, uh, that boozy nature felt like something like reading a Bukowski book or, um, I don't know. I, it it had like that spirit of everyone just gathered there to drink. It had a interesting cast of characters. Um, but then I found I found a tenderness in it. With uh, Joe is kind of this somehow wealthy guy who spends a lot of money, buys newspapers every time the newsboy comes in gambles a bunch of money, has this guy, Tom, who he sends on errands. And um, 
I don't know. He ended up being the, the center of the play and the ending where he, it's, it's not neat. It's not, um, it's not obvious what is going on, but um, I'm not describing it well. The, uh, I, found, I found it like quiet, quiet and compelling which is something I like. Like, it's not, um, there is a murder or there is a shooting towards the end, right? Yeah. Um, but it's not, like, overly dramatic. It's not, um, it's not a huge plot arc, but there is, um, there is a quiet arc and there is a, a quiet drama and the emotion is, is quiet and beautiful. And, and that, in that way, it felt like, human and relatable. I feel like, you know, this is the first play that we've read where it's something that I can't really put my finger on. Like there, there is a quality to it that just alludes either. It might be just because it's been a week since we all read it, but like it almost alludes description or like, he, I, I feel like uh, William Soroyan did a really good job of like, it's written really, really well. Like it's not, it's not a play and it's not a novel. It's like a weird mix of all of them together. I mean, and, and I, um, which is interesting because I also think that there's like, music is really important in the play. Um, and, I, and my, the thing I feel like I kept coming to is um, like visual art from the period. Like it just feels very like, um, like the sort of like William Hopper. Yeah, it felt very William Hopper, right? Edward, yeah, Edward Hopper. Edward Hopper, right? Sorry. Um, like it feels like it sort of like steps into one of those paintings. Yeah. The music. There was a lot of music. I liked you would forget that the music was going on, obviously. It was just written, but then towards the end of the scene, and maybe being like, they've started to play this song, or the music has stopped a while ago. So I think that kind of thing, where you do have all these um, entertainers coming in, it is it does touch upon like the depression. People, The owner of the bar is always asking these people who come in, asking for work if they're hungry they will deny that they are hungry and say they just want work. And then they're actually just really hungry, almost fainting from hunger and he'll feed them. But a lot of them are entertainers. You have a dancer, a pianist, uh, um, what was the other guy? Harmonica player, maybe. Um, so I the think Kit Carson, didn't Kit Carson. Oh play my gosh. The, that was so crazy. Harmonica? I forgot about that kick. So that's like the, other thing that sort like that was like the really sort of strange thing is Kit Carson who died you know about 80 years before the play takes place is a character in this um uh, and sort of like, what what were you gonna say well he died I mean he died in like the 1870s um right he's not it Kit is Carson. interesting that his name is Kit Carson yeah I mean, Josh, I you feel like he was just right Soroyan describes him as looking like that or having that feel, and then he goes on, and that's the character's name. Is... I mean, I sort of took that to me like a cheeky way of being like, "This is Kit Carson." Oh, okay. Um, um, but yeah. 
maybe I was very literal when I read it and I was like, this is so surreal. Maybe I'm just an idiot. Yeah, um, no, I, I, and I, I will say the interesting thing about the Kit Carson character is like, he was in a, in a, in a way such a strange departure. For, like the play was, it seemed like there was a style to it. Mm-hmm. And then he showed up and it completely changed gears. Yeah. And in like such an odd way that I almost didn't take him seriously as a character. Right. Until, until the end, you know what I mean? I, I think it was such an interesting trick on Soroyan's part, you know? Like yeah, he seemed like those... a weird... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I, like he has him as a storyteller and the Aliyah... Uh, you know, tall tale right. tell it. And, and you realize like you don't know how many of those tales are true. He comes in at the end and he tells you one that you know did happen. Um, yeah. And I don't know how much of a departure oh. he was though, because to me, like that one Dudley character who's calling his girlfriend trying to get her back I mean, that had a similar feel as just like a, a strange Barfly character. And, and so Kit Carson Certainly, to me but didn't I can, but feel... I can, imagine, I can imagine Dudley being in San Francisco in 1939, but all of a sudden a trapper <laughs> talking about, you know, what happened in the 1880s. You're not going to expect him like at a waterfront bar, you know, on the Embarcadero. Um but he, he's like, what is it? Like such an anachronism or something that it was jarring in a really, really interesting way. It, in some ways it also reminded me of, um, and we'll read more, but it reminded me of like Sam Shepard. Um, like How did it remind you of Sam yeah, Shepard? Yeah, I, I can see that. Um, like, I think the mixture of it being sort of surreal and gritty. Um, mm-hmm. um, Western. Yeah, like, exactly. It has, I mean, I guess it's more noir than Western, but it feels, I, but I think Sam Shepard also traffics in some noir as well. Um, mm-hmm. Like, it, it felt very ahead of its time in moments. Um, and then it's weird because there's a movie adaptation that's directed by Frank Capra. Oh really? Um, yeah. Which he also he also directed another movie we um, of a play we read. Did, Which uh, one? Our town. You can't know. You can't take, take it, it with you. With you. I mean, yeah. that feels much more like him than this. Um, That's true. Though, didn't he do? No, who am I thinking? But it's interesting yeah. to bring this up because at its core, like you know. There's like the sheen of grittiness or of, of squalor or whatever you want to call it. But at its core, it's a very optimistic play, it seems like, that is striving for something and trying to, I don't know, capture something of a, of a beauty in humanity. You know, mostly like right on the eve of war. But like, um, they talk about I didn't that. find it. I, I didn't find it to be a uh, a depressing play, or like, do you know what I mean? I, I don't feel like the mood that the author was creating was one of bleakness or hopelessness. No, there's a somberness to it, but it's not hopeless. 
No, and and there's like an interesting, you know, the the McCarthy, the Longshoreman, who I thought was a very well written and interesting. Like, oh yeah, he's a well written character in uh, we, the name of the. Can you talk about that character, cop. McCarthy? No, please go ahead. No, can you? Um, I I just feel like there are, you know, I I feel like there. I mean, just can you just describe him? Oh yeah, he was like a longshoreman that um <laughs> of course I can't really put my finger on him, but he was he's like a man he he has like an interesting conversation with uh so he's like a union longshoreman and he comes into the bar with a friend who's a police officer and they have this very interesting conversation where they talk about being on opposite sides mm-hmm. and the police officer is talking about you know, what it is to be a police officer, which is, you know, you carry out orders regardless of the intention or whether you think it's right or wrong. You know, it's just, that's part of being a police officer. And McCarthy talks about, you know, well, you know, as a police officer, you're used to either break up unions or something like that. And he asks them, are you going to knock me over the head if you're supposed to, you know, if you're ordered to? And the police officer talks about, well, we've known each other for so long, but that's, that's my job and that's my duty. Um, and Soroyan, I think, does a very beautiful job of mixing in, like, because, you know, the, all the things that happened in San Francisco, mostly with labor unrest throughout uh, the 20th century, I think he does a good job of weaving in um, stories of you know, drunkards and sex workers, but also with questions of labor and the, the questions of the use of, uh, of the police. Um, I think he also made that McCarthy character is like a, is like a, is a super intellectual. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. He really is. And then the, the other cop, there's the vice detective, I think is Brady. Blick. Blick. Um, who's just like the arch villain. Yeah. But it is interesting because the, the play does, at first I thought it was really going for realism. And then when Blick comes in, the music stops, like the, the whole mood of the, of the bar. It's like, you know, in movies when like the record needle stops ah. because, yeah. But it's interesting that like, it almost was like very heavy handed with saying, this man is bad. This man is, uh, is evil. But then like, next, the bar owner comes in and tells him to stop playing again. Yeah, and he's a little bit of a like a mustache twirler. Um, yeah, that was the biggest part of the biggest plot that we had. Really, was uh, um, yeah. the Blick trying to close the bar or trying to catch the bar having ladies of the night there, and um, clearly. They are there at times. Um, yeah, it like it's not prohibition anymore, I guess. No, no, it, it's no not. that's, that's, really that's interesting ended a while like, ago. It does feel like it's like the last gasp of something. Like it, this bar doesn't exist after forty-five in the same way. Um, no, and maybe not. That, I mean, it's a depression era play to me. It feels like, in a way, that the other works we've read haven't really touched upon or haven't really dealt with like, I don't know, regular people who would maybe have been 
affected by that or who who are like living gotta, their lives on I the outskirts. I disagree with the notion that it's a depression play. To me, this play exists in um, this atmosphere and this bar exists after 1945, mostly in San Francisco. I think now it probably doesn't as much, but um, you know, to me, these characters and what, what's at stake and just like the larger themes of... Uh, because it... It is weird, like, the, the treatment of the sex worker. I forgot her name. Um, you is know, first she's saying too? that... Yeah, it's Kitty. Like, that she was a burlesque dancer. And I think it's the bar owner refers to her as a $2 whore. Um, yeah. it, but it's interesting that, like, the dismissiveness re- towards Kitty leads to, like, Blick's... Uh, almost attacking or judgment of sex workers is is taken very very differently, um, and I, I think I kind of lost the play lost me a little bit when it was dealing with Kitty and her being so upset and going to her room. Like when the, when the play shifted scenes from the bar to her hotel room. Um, I guess that was the only the, time, right? Right, and the questions of Tom being in love with her, I think that uh, was not as interesting to me. But That was the other major plot, wasn't it? Tom, who does uh, errands for Joe, he, he falls, he's in love with Kitty, and how their relationship works out is a feature of it. That was yeah, a weaker and, part of it, yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like the play almost kind of, it, it, it didn't interest me as much, uh, but for whatever reason, Soroyan. I think really, that is really... more interesting for like Joe. You know, it seems like it's a um, the romance is what inter- is interesting. But what he's doing there, I think, is like um, seeing what Joe is doing to try and help Kitty out, help Tom out, set it up, what? and and it's he he's that. like nihilistic, right? He's doing it like he doesn't even know why he's doing it. But he he has that very interesting speech near the end where he talks about having money and he talks about that he made money basically not working and that anyone who has money, it's because they stole it from poor people, you know? And I feel like, well, just that, you know, I think it's a very interesting just like critique and portrayal of like, you want to call it capitalism, whatever the fuck you want to call it. But like, and that must I have been it, like so relevant for the 1930s, and it's something we really haven't seen in all these plays we've read in the 1930s. Like there hasn't been a a real serious critique of capitalism. There hasn't been like a real consideration of like down and out folk in a way that this was. And yeah, definitely, like to an extent, there are bars like that in San Francisco after that, in, like, cities all over the world up until the present, in a way. But, like, that was a thing that was relevant in the 1930s, and and not many works it, that we read address that. I think the interesting question is why, or why do you feel Soroyan uh, succeeded in trying to capture something that easily could have you could see another play and be like, this is just elitist bullshit. 
being like, this is what it's like for poor people. Or do you know what I mean? Like, I almost feel like, Chris, when you sometimes speak about, uh, what was that place, Sweat? Yeah, which is interesting because I do think of them. Sweat. In some way, sort of interest, like they're, like I think they would be really interesting to do in rep together. Um, they both Sweat is like a sociological study that doesn't, like she hasn't, uh, it's, yeah, it is she. She hasn't like lived her life as a bar fly at that bar in Sweat. She has gone to the town to try and understand what that small town is like. And it's interesting. She does it well, you know, power to her, prizes. She's a good writer. But like, it's not, that's not something she feels. She knows in the way that I feel like this author, like, I, I don't know. Maybe he's just a really good writer and he do, yeah, should do place you, himself you know in that. Do you know anything about William Soroyan? I don't know anything about him. Josh, do you? Uh, not really. I, I have his Wikipedia page. No, no, but, but I'd be surprised know, if he didn't spend a lot of time in a San Francisco bar that was a lot like Nick's place. The only times I remember ever hearing of Soroyan is I remember when I lived in San Francisco, they, he's like a favored son of the city. Cause I remember mm, you know, how they have like banners on, um, streetlights. Um, I remember they had banners regarding William Soroyan on streetlights there. And I, and I feel like Bukowski talks about Soroyan in some of his poetry. Whether it's positive okay. or not, I don't know. But, yeah. I could see Bukowski liking it. I hope it turns out he was a captain of industry that made billions and then hung out in a bar for a year or two. He's a Joe character. He's a Joe character, right? He is the rich person who doesn't know what to do with his money. Underrated writers of the 20th century. Who said that? Stephen Fry. Oh. Uh, Who's Stephen Fry? He was in this uh, sketch comedy group with Hugh Laurie. (laughs) Is that really the same person? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Um... Oh, my computer's running out of battery, so I'm going to wrap this fucker up. Um, I hope that's okay. Um, yeah. And my dream production, I would want to, like, I think it'd be really fun to do this play at a bar. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's a huge cast, isn't it? It would yeah. be hard to do a production of it. Um, well, apparently, Steppenwolf did a production in, like, 2002. I think they would pro I've never actually seen a play by them, but knowing the plays that have come out of them and um, I think they would probably do really well. Yeah, apparently it was very musical. I could see that. I mean, yeah, I said it 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 has options to be a theatrical play. Um, and John doesn't want to see it. No, I don't. Do you have a dream production, Christopher? I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking of like, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the Bukowski movies, Barfly or the Post Office. Take place in a bar a bunch and know how much they capture that. Um, I think to an extent, my desire for seeing it was like, 
I would have liked my first uh, interaction with the play to have been seeing it, and I think I would have been surprised and delighted with seeing it. It's mm. the kind of play I like to go see. Now having it in my head, maybe, um, maybe it wouldn't quite do it for me. But I think, well, I don't know. Well, maybe you can go see it at the South Camden Theater and be really disappointed. Are they doing it at the South Camden Theater? No, but I can imagine them putting it on and it being terrible. Um, yeah, I would fly to Chicago and see Stepanov do it. Um, it's a time machine. Um, so time what? Machine. I know we're short on time. What? Uh, what are we reading next week, Josh? Yeah. So the next, we're finishing up. Uh, we're finishing up our uh, Robert Sherwood uh, retrospective. Yay. Uh, Which play is this? It's like Twas the Night, Still Was the Night, There Was Night, Twas the Night Before World War One. <laughs> We're going to skip a few years. Uh, I think then we do Spin of Teeth. We do a Thornton Wilder play, which I really like. John will love it. Yeehaw. Um. Yeah. Um. All right. Ugh, I am exhausted. I have been spending the whole day putting together my classroom. Um, I mean, this might be a fun one. Of what character would you be? There are so oh. many characters. Uh, I want to be Kitty. Or Anne. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the sex worker. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Or McCarthy. But I think. Yeah. John's McCarthy. I think I like Nick. I think I like the bar owner. Yeah. I think this is a, this would be a, one of the this would be a good play for us to be in. John, what would you be? Joe. McCarthy. John I don't know, McCarthy. but I can imagine there's so many bad fucking productions of this play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's I, been so many bad fucking productions in this play. Jesus Christ. I'd like to see what someone could do with Dudley, that character, because... I didn't like him all that much, and I, I wonder if in the right hands he could be good. I think the key for the play would be a good Joe. Yeah, absolutely. Well, from California, I miss you both and I love you, and I look forward to seeing you next week. All right. Say goodnight, folks. Good night. Good night, folks. <laughs>